ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Competition is Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Hard to Paint with David Grubb. And today, um, I felt like enough time has passed to get past the fan part of this and the, the community part of this and get to the real about the career of Drew Brees, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And there was only one person that I could think of to do that with me. And that's my man, Brian Bienemy. And I welcome him back to HITP. Brian, how you doing, bro? I'm good, brother. No complaints on this end, man. Just ready to get down to business. Now, you know, Drew Brees issued his statement of retirement on the anniversary, the 15th anniversary of the day he signed with the Saints um, in, a, in a very coordinated manner, which is what you've come to expect from Drew Brees. Um, in that moment, once it was announced, what was your reaction and what was your feeling as both somebody who's been a fan of this team and somebody who's covered it? Uh, it wasn't one of those bittersweet, sappy moments that I think most fans will have when it comes to Drew Brees. It was almost like, okay, thank you. Finally, you know, you kind of announced it. And to be honest, I didn't think it would come, you know, as you stated, he's very calculated, very robotic in his approach, but I actually thought he would wait until later in the summer to announce it. So, uh, you know, thankfully it's over with and it's done with. I'm just kind of ready to turn the page at this point. In my opinion, we're about four years too late from this retirement announcement. I showed you something that I wrote nine years ago that yeah. where I said that, look, it's fine if you sign Drew Brees, um, but I could see a lot of records getting broken, but no championships. And ultimately, no matter what Saints fans may feel, the fact of the matter is that over the last 10 seasons, you got a lot of broken records, but no championships. One NFC championship appearance in those 10 years, five and seven in the playoffs in those 10 years after four and one in those first five. That's that has to be part of the legacy. It can't just be the records. You have to talk about the team's lack of fulfilling its potential over those 10 years. Well, I have a tendency to piss off a lot of Saints fans because I, I tend to hold the mirror up when it comes to Drew Brees and have them to really look at it and stare at what's going on. And most fans will like to point to the, you know, the seven and nine years in which he had historically bad defenses. Yeah, that's a part of his, you know, his resume as well. He did have historically bad defense. So for those three, four years in which his defenses were historically bad, he definitely made up over over the last three, four years in which the defense was really good. But he was, the he was the person and the reason why they couldn't get in. So it evens it all out for me. But then it comes down to what happens when Drew Brees is in his prime, as you stated. Only one NFC Championship game appearance, one Super Bowl appearance. And yes, he did, you know, manage to seal the deal. But a lot of that had to do with the opportunistic defense that helped him out a lot as well. So in my opinion, it's not to diminish Drew Brees' greatness because he was the most accurate passer in NFL history. We can't take that from him. But there's also regular season Drew Brees. And as Dome Drew Brees versus on the road and postseason Drew Brees, and that's the part nobody wants to acknowledge in the idea that in 2010, he loses to a team in the Seattle Seahawks in which they shouldn't have lost to because they were the underdog and they were a 7-9 team, I believe, that got into the playoffs. The following year, you play San Francisco 
San Francisco, you turn the ball over five times. People tend to ignore that part. He has, you know, several players knocked out of the game. But if you don't turn the ball over five times, it never gets to that point. And the 11 team will tell you uh, to a man that they should have won the Super Bowl that year. Of course, that's bounty game for 2012. 2013, you're right back at it. Seattle bounces you again. So, and, and, you, play, point, and, you, and you have to say, you played yeah. the first year starter in the playoffs right. at Philadelphia in a game you won by two. So it wasn't like that was a dominant performance. No, that was a that was a horrible Nick Foles, by the way. You know, I mean, he was just coming off the idea. I think Nick Foles was like 27 and two or something like that for touchdowns. But he was still a young, you know, understudy that didn't know what he was doing under Chip Kelly, who we know is not an NFL coach. So I think at this point, you kind of have to write the story of Drew Brees, but you can't leave out parts in detail just because you want to praise him and forget the parts in which he kind of, you know, basically threw you out of a Super Bowl championship as well. And I think, you know, when you go back and look at those seven and nine seasons, you can talk about how bad the defenses were. But those are also the most prolific years of, of Breeze's career. And part of that did not make things better for that defense. And, and Sean Payton has to hold accountability for that as well. But when the Saints had opportunities, games that they could have won and put away, where we saw Pierre Thomas get 15 carries in the first three quarters, none in the fourth. I remember a loss to Carolina in particular. He had 100 yards in three quarters. Didn't touch the ball in the fourth, and they lost that game. So even in those situations, there were times that Drew Brees' prolific passing was also a detriment to the Saints, and that's, that has to be considered. In none of his 5,000-yard seasons did they do anything in the postseason. No, I expect, I believe, like three out of the I believe three out of his five, they were losing seasons for Drew Brees in the same. So, I mean, you kind of have to take the good with the bad in that. Now, I'll give him credit for 2012, which was the Bounding Gate season. Yes, he no held that together. How, he held that together. I mean, no, if there's any reason why he should be a Hall of Famer, it's the idea that he won seven games with an interim to an interim as the coach. So, basically, he played the role of the coach in that, in that one. So, I'll definitely give him that one. And the suspensions of very key defensive players so that even if they had been full strength and a first-year defensive coordinator at Spagnuolo who did not have the power of Sean Payton behind him because Payton wasn't there. So, yes, for Breeze to squeeze seven out of that team, yes, that's that's one of the leads on his resume. Correct. No doubt about that, man. And, you know, I, I give him credit for what he's done, and I don't want to make this seem like a total Drew Breeze bass session because that's not what this is. It's about truth. And that's the one thing that fans really hate when it comes to Drew Brees is that they never want to admit the truth because I've had fans tell me over the past couple of days, well, Drew Brees has meant so much to the team and so much to the city and so much to us individually. I need that, that word us to be defined because last time I checked, I didn't see Drew Brees cutting the check to make sure my power was back on. I didn't, I didn't see him with a hammer and nails helping me put up sheetrock. So I need, to, I need that to be defined. What exactly did Drew Brees do personally? Because I don't want to hear about the charitable donations to Oshner. Okay, yeah, that's cool. Thanks a lot. But if you didn't help people individually, I don't understand this whole commitment. And I heard Steve Weiss say it, and it almost made me throw up because my wife had to tell me. She was like, did he just say what I think he did? And I was like, yeah, he did. And it was crazy because he said Drew Brees did so much for black people in the city. What black people? Where, where was the – I didn't get an interview with somebody that asked me, did Drew Brees help me? So, and it's not even – again, it's not a Drew Brees knock. It's the idea that we got to stop running with that narrative because it is not true. No, it's a it's a hero worship thing, and this is not. It, it's about the bigger thing than this, and I think it's part of the New Orleans inferiority complex that somebody from outside yeah. chose you when people didn't like you, 
I mean, I'm being honest. That's how New Orleanians can be. We are, New Orleans are very self-contained in their pride, but also there's a lot of insecurity in New Orleans in its makeup mm-hmm. as a place that the rest of the world really doesn't care about. New Orleans yeah. feels that isolation. Hurricane Katrina is the ultimate example of that. And the PTSD that came from that. Drew Brees chose New Orleans in that regard. So whatever he did, it has now been elevated beyond the achievement of sport. It has become mythology. And that is where it becomes problematic. Because once you make a person a myth, you cannot be objective about them. And I think that's the ultimate issue here is we need to be objective when we discuss his career. I get it if his jersey's retired. He brought the franchise its only Super Bowl as part of a team. Again, we can't forget them other 52 dudes who had to do their jobs too. He gets all those credits. He's a Hall of Famer, certainly. But there are things that did not go well. Oh, that's no doubt about that. I mean, you know, it's not even his on-the-field product that, that, you know, that leaves a lot to be desired. It's also Drew Brees off the field. His, you know, his empathy and, and I guess admiration for military, which also made him kind of turn a blind eye to what was going on to, to his teammates that he claims he loves so much and exactly what their plights were. And it wasn't until recently, and sometimes I, I kind of question whether or not he truly gets it or he's just being the Drew Brees. He's always been the politician that kind of walks that fine line and makes you believe that he understands when he really doesn't. But I think in his heart, in his heart of hearts, Drew Brees is still going to be that flag waving hand across his chest you know, red, white, and blue Captain America, that's all That's all he's ever going to be. So it doesn't matter how many of his black teammates or former teammates tell him, hey, Drew, when you look at this, there's another way to look at it. He's still going to be the same Drew Brees. He's always going to look at it through his eyes, and it's not going to change. Uh, I, I mean, uh, the example of this is we get the teary-eyed, emotional Instagram post after he got called out by his teammates over the summer last year. And then you never saw another post or word from Drew Brees about racial injustice. There's not a single word when it was time to vote, not an encouragement to about voter suppression or people of color, anything like that. The people he said, I'm your ally. Where was he then? When black folks have continued to still be left out of the New Orleans growth, the gentrification of the city of New Orleans. I still don't see it. I haven't seen him show up in Baton Rouge and push for any reforms. I haven't seen money go to not just businesses and people think it's just throwing money at businesses. No, where are those schools too that are not lusher? Where are those facilities that the money, the millions that you have? And, and you still have to question, like you said, his associations from Focus on the Family, which he still never disassociated with them. So all those things are still persistent and yet we don't talk about them. If you say you're an ally and no one talks about that, it's just been swept under the rug as we watch football. And, and I think that's what happens most times, man. It's like you, you forget that sports is a distraction, but that distraction can also take away from a larger picture. And I think that's what Drew was able to kind of camouflage himself and do. And so, oh, let me throw some money at Grambling and Southern. And that's, you know, that'll show everybody that I'm really mean it. Let me kind of, you know, negate what the president said about me. That'll show everybody. But it's not about the one or two instances what you do when the eyes are on you. It's about what you do when nobody's watching. 
And that's what I haven't seen Drew do yet to kind of show his real commitment. You can wear all the Black History Month cleats that you want to. I'm, I, I mean, I, I see that clear. That's a photo op opportunity. You know the cameras are going to be on you. What do you do when they're not on you? And that's when we're going to find out who Drew Brees is now post-career. Who is Drew Brees? We're going to find out a lot about that person now. I think it's going to be very interesting because he is so crafted. And to go into television, that's not a place where that works. The reason Tony Romo is successful is because Tony Romo is off the cuff. He's being who he is. The reason reason John Madden is a legend was because John Madden was scripted. You know, I mean, it's those are the people who thrive as former players when they take it on. I'm, 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 in, I'm really interested to see if Drew Brees is going to have opinions. You know what I mean? Like, cause that's, that's going to be the thing that either moves you or doesn't it. I don't know if he's that kind of communicator. I agree with you because I don't know who Drew Brees is as a person. And, and, and what I mean by that is he never shows his personality. I mean, now if you ask him certain questions in a moment, you know, you know, you catch him off guard and say, Hey Drew, what do you think about everybody taking a protest knee? Okay, well, in that moment, you kind of see Drew because he lets his, his real heart speak. You can see his eyes glaze over. You kind of see the remembrance of his grandfather, the nose who, you know, who in the military. You see it in that instant. But when you ask him a question, he's usually in the gray area. It's always, you know, let's go buy the book. I'm going to speak. Ha ha, adversity. You know, this, that, and the third. It's never really, you know, Drew Brees opening up and giving an opinion. It's basically a robot talking to you. So now we get a chance to see who Drew Brees is as far as the person. Can he relay the information? Can he be entertaining with the information? We don't know that yet. And we're going to find out. But if it's anything, like the person we saw behind the mic when he was being interviewed, this isn't going to last long with NBC. How do you think his teammates are at this stage? Because, I, you know, as soon as the Russell Wilson rumors started, you saw guys on the roster who openly – made gestures toward Russ. And I think the guys have made overtures to Deshaun. Um, and I would imagine, again, amongst that 53 over the last four years, there are guys who say, we could have had a chance. I mean, Mike, Michael Thomas basically said it. We could have had a chance if we had somebody with an arm back there. Like you said, four years ago, we it, the Saints probably should have moved on. I think this team was is is ready too. I think like not just you and not just some. I think the team is ready to move on. No, I, I totally agree with you, and I think as you stated, Michael Thomas kind of made that you know abundantly clear that he defense is understood. Drew Brees was not beating you over the top, so everything was going to be underneath. Mike Thomas does not like being called slant boy, but there's a reason why Michael Thomas had to run a lot of slants is because his quarterback couldn't throw the ball 15 yards without his arm falling off. So with that being said. You know, anytime you have to bring in a Taysom Hill, who's not the most accurate passer, or you have to find a Jameis Winston or a Teddy Bridgewater. Um, when you talk about Sean Payton and his desire to to prove that he can do this without Drew, and I think that exists, um, and you saw that in the last two seasons in being able to go 8-1 and one, um, with Drew on the sidelines and not see the offense skip too much of a beat other than with Taysom and his bad match with Alvin Kamara, who just – he cost Alvin Kamara 30 touchdowns, and I'm, I'm just not going to be convinced otherwise um, for the season. But Sean Payton feels like he can – if he could scheme a man with a dead arm, but who's completely accurate, then he has to feel like he can scheme. If Jameis Winston is the best-case scenario this year, if that's what it, they end up with, I think he still feels like he can squeeze 11 wins out of that team. 
I think as long as the quarterback coming from under center doesn't trip and fall off, you know, fall over every time he's coming from under center, I think the Saints can win the game because they have the roster to do it. You can hand the ball off to Kamara, use him in a flat, unlike, well, Taysom doesn't understand that, but you can use Kamara in a flat. You have Michael Thomas. You still have these complimentary receivers, a young, filthy offensive line in a, in, a, in a defense that's consistently building and being replenished. I think they can win 10 games no matter who's the quarterback, unless you have somebody like Taysom who gives the ball up in instances in which he can't, you know, he can't control himself. He fumbles at, at inopportune times. So other than that, I think the Saints would be just fine. And I, again, I do think Sean is willing to prove that not only can I do it, but imagine if he can take Jameis and win 10 games next year. I mean, his offensive genius profile goes up a notch. But for my money, I think the problem that I'm having with Jameis being a quarterback is not in Jameis' talent. It's what are the fans going to allow him to do when he doesn't play up to Breeze's level. Mm-hmm. And that is what I'm afraid of because we have a lot, whether they want to admit it, whether they be closet, whether they be you know overt. There are a lot of people that want to see a black quarterback fail in their city, and they are going to give him hell the first time he throws an interception. That's true. And you have to have – first, it's never good to be the man following the man. But right. when you come into certain places, you had better have the, the, the chips – um, to push in and say to keep fans from giving getting in your 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 ear and Jameis just doesn't have that because he comes from Tampa because of his record of interceptions and because his record in life the things that he had a problem with that there are people who are not going to let those things go and they're not going to understand that teammates coaching staff as far as his mind goes and his understanding of football they can't speak more highly of it now. Does it translate if he has to start? That remains to be seen, but I can't imagine Sean Payton allowing him to make the decisions that are going to cost him games because if you do, you will find yourself standing next to Sean Payton. Oh, I totally agree with that. I don't think there's going to be a chance in the world that Jameis goes out there and throws 30 interceptions. Now, for everybody that loves to harp on that, well, he was with Bruce Arians. And in Bruce Arians' system, the first year under all of his quarterbacks, they have an exorbitant amount of interceptions. That's just the way he coaches for some reason. He likes to stress the field. Jameis has always gotten in trouble trying to play hero ball, and he hasn't always had the talent around him to kind of you know, succeed with that. So I think that got him in a little trouble as well. But I don't see a situation where Sean ever allows Jameis to even get that close. By the time Jameis hits 20 interceptions, Sean's pulling in the ring. So I don't think it's going to get that bad at all. I love Jameis' talent. I just don't think that the first time he makes a mistake, that the fans are going to allow him to do anything else. But, you know, it's almost like they'll forget that Breeze, you know, kind of threw interceptions too. And it'll be, well, you're not Breeze. Well, he's not supposed to be. How many how many seasons do you, out of uh, 20 seasons Drew Breeze throw at least 15 picks? I want to say it's seven. Nine. But I could be mistaken on that. Nine. I, Nine. And you know how many of those came in? his seasons with his top 10, like, so if you split his career in half, the top 10 in yardage and the bottom 10 in yardage, these are very interesting numbers. His top 10 yardage seasons, six of those uh, 15 interception seasons came in. Six of those. I know his, I know his best numbers came when Sean Payton surrounded him with a running game and he didn't throw for over 4,500 yards. Yep. So I, I think that's no coincidence. And that was one time there was a stat and I got to give my homeboy Nate a credit because him and, you know, Big T, who used to do sports over time with him, you know, God rest his soul, they came up with a stat. And I want to say it was 82% of the time when Drew, Drew Brees threw the ball at least 40, 40 times or more, yep. the Saints lost those games. That, that's a hell of a stat right there. And that you look crazy. at those 10 best yard seasons, his, his record, total record was 88 and 71, which is about 55% winning percentage. In his 10 worst 
lowest yardage seasons, 84 and 43. 84 and 43, almost 66% winning percentage. So like you said, the balance was always the key. If you couldn't keep him balanced, if you couldn't get a commitment to the running game, and part of that was on him. Yeah. That the Saints, any team that he was on, was less successful. Um, even the Chargers, when he when he threw it too much, and when he thought he could, he played hero ball too. Let's, I mean, let's let's be serious. There were times that he had to. The reason you lose the Rams game is, yeah, you take the call, but then you come out and you do first you know, for your first possession in overtime. Yep. You throw a pick okay. that you didn't have to throw. I get into so many arguments about that Minnesota game because everybody wants to tell me how great he played in the second half. Did you forget the first half exists? Because Drew Brees led often, did not score a single point in a in an NFL half of football. But people can't stand when you bring the truth to them. Those games against Seattle that I mentioned earlier, San Francisco that I mentioned earlier, he threw the ball 60 times in three of those games. You can't win with Drew Brees throwing 60 times. Those years since 2013. Since 2013. And, and you and I talk about this. Only one time did you get more than 26 points in any game in the postseason and that was against Carolina in a game that was a five-point game at home and your home playoff record is one in four in your last five playoff games that the Superdome used to be a house of horrors it is not anymore and some of that like you cannot assign that to everybody but Drew Brees. You know what I'm saying? Like, he has to have some of that blame. And it's not, again, this is not about diminishing, but it's just like, let's be honest, because that hero worship thing is going to get you in trouble one day. It's going to come and crack you, and it's going. these people are going to be like, I never knew this about Drew Brees. Well, we've been telling you these things, yeah. and people just choose to ignore them. And it's like, it's not to, I don't want you to go to that man's house and have a pitchfork and torch and, and do all that stuff, but he's not a god. He's just a man. And that's the, that, that's the problem when you give him the moniker of Breezes because people actually worship him that way. And, it, and, you know, again, I don't know what he does behind closed doors with his family. He can be the best family man in the world. He can be the worst. It wouldn't bother me any. I only judge him by what he does on the field and how he interacts with people that look of my hue. So that's the only things I can judge him by. And on the field, he's not the Breezes that, that they make him out to be. Most NFL accurate passer, absolutely. Most 5,000-yard seasons, give him all his credit for the stats that he put up. But a lot of those stats were empty because he didn't come up with the, with the ultimate goal. No way possible you could have the talented of a team as Sean Payton has built, even over the last four years, and not come away with a single Super Bowl appearance. Not win, appearance. I mean, he's the, the Dan Marino or the, the, the Dan Fouts of this era, where it's everybody's getting yards, but you separate the people who – that's what we talk about is the champions, right? Well, you got to at least be in the arena. And the reason people will knock Aaron Rodgers and they should knock Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers only been in there twice. He's only been in the fight yeah. twice. So Breeze only got there once. So knock both of them for that. They, neither one of them in my mind can claim to be the GOAT because they've had opportunities where they had the better team on the field and they got outplayed by another team's quarterback. And you'd have to say that in the Tampa game, in the Minnesota game last year, in the Rams game, in the even in that Panthers game, Cam played a real good game. Yeah. So, I mean, you'd say Drew got outplayed in probably four or five of his last six playoff games. You don't even need to go that far. 
Mitchell Trubisky went stride for stride with Drew Brees in that in that in a, in a playoff game last year. So I'm not understanding what took place. I think people forget that the Saints barely beat the Bears and they should have smoked them. You know, and, and I think that says a lot, not about Chicago's defense, about the Saints' offense under Drew Brees. And that, that's if not for a missed touchdown pass, and Mitch Trubisky, to his credit, threw a absolute dime and a guy just dropped it. So, I mean, if that's the case, then, I mean, you get, that to me was the Minnesota miracle for the Chicago Bears. You weren't coming back after that play. So after that, when it was pretty much over, the Bears were going to lose that game no matter what. And, and I, I think that actually saved the Saints because they might have got bounced out of the you know first round by the Chicago Bears. It was, it was entirely possible because the Bears were given – I mean, they had basically shut down their offense. They weren't letting Trubisky do anything in the second half. They were just trying to get field position to kick field goals. Yeah. And they couldn't even do that, but yet the Saints weren't putting any points up. And I, I know that's not Sean Payton's way. Uh, and I, I would say no, that, that ego, and again, I, I think that the ego, and every great player has an ego. Every great player. That's what makes you a great player. But at some point, it did it to Kobe Bryant. It did it to Michael Jordan. And it did it to Drew Brees. His ego, I think, this year, when he was hurt, as soon as he saw the Saints lose that that one game, he made the determination he was coming back. That it was, you want nobody was going to tell him No. And he could yeah, have I think not only this year, but last year as well. When he saw, I think you could say the loss this year kind of made him come back a little earlier than what it was last year. It was the fact that Teddy was getting a little bit too much credit for that Saints team winning games, and you know, uh, the ego, as you said, kind of you know jumped up and was like, "Oh no, not my team." Same thing happened in the off season. Tom Brady and, and many you know across the media will tell you was ready to sign on a dotted line for the New Orleans Saints. Drew Brees was ready to retire. Russell Wilson gave up his Pro Bowl starting spot yep. to Drew Brees in the Pro Bowl because Drew said he was going to call it quits. The minute Drew heard Tom Brady was going to take over, you know, quote, his team, Drew comes back. He surprises things with that decision is what I'm told. And now the Saints have Jameis and Taysom. Do you think that they make a move? Do you think they go all in legitimately for a quarterback? No. I, I, I'll say this. The chances of them landing to Russell Wilson is about 30, possibly 40%. I don't think Seattle's going to take the bite, you know, bite that bullet and hit that 39 million cap hit. So I think that has a lot to do with it. But if the Saints offered them a Godfather, Godfather package, I think they would bite on it. I don't think the Saints are going to do it. And I think that's the problem. It, I don't know if Sean Payton is going to necessarily be content with the guys he has in the building because every year he says the quarterback of the future is in the building and every year he brings another quarterback through the building. I just don't know if they're going to be willing to pay the ransom that it takes to get Russell Wilson. And you should because a, a Super Bowl is not guaranteed. And, I mean, maybe you say, you know what, we'll wait it out till next year. We'll let the Seahawks, you know, bite the bullet this year, eat that cap hit, you know, basically struggle, and then we'll have Russell Wilson out there as a free agent because they're going to cut him or try to trade him next year. Maybe you see what, you know, Green Bay does with Aaron Rodgers. If they don't extend him, he could be a guy that's on the free agent market next year or, or on the trade block. So maybe you see what happens with that. But you're basically saying we're going to punt a year because I don't think Jameis can win you a Super Bowl, and I know damn well Taysom can't do it. No. And like when people saw that $140 million extension, like I said, it could have been $140 kajillion. He ain't never going to see that money. Like, that, like, he ain't never going to touch anything close to it. No. That, that's fake numbers and name alone. That's only, you know, that's a little razzle-dazzle Mickey and Kai like to do. And for the most part, I, you know, I, I know Mickey gets a lot of the credit. It's not Mickey Loomis. It's people Kai. People need to stop giving credit for something that's not him. It, it, it is Kai Harley. So, uh, I mean, I think that needs to be stated more often. Now, it's a great thing that Kai Harley doesn't get the credit because he gets to stay with the Saints. But 
I, I, I wouldn't be surprised though if he's somebody's GM in two or three two or three years. I would hope it happens next year, to be honest, because I want to see all those brothers flourish. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's going to be something to watch. I think the Saints um, are not, you know, again, the Saints don't do free agency. This is not where they make moves. They're getting themselves under the cap. I think that they've done a fantastic job with that um, for the most part. There are a couple of things that, you know, you could quibble about as, as far as who got um, certain deals. But, again, I, I, there's so much hand-wringing every year about the Saints and the cap situation like television money is going to keep changing it. They know that the cap is perpetually going to go up. They know that TV is going to put a, like next year, it could be $220 million next year. It could be $220 million in one year. And if that's the case, the Saints have no problems. That's exactly the number I have. And I think the Saints method is just that that kick the can down the road is up until the time when, you know, the new TV deal kicks in. So by the time it's there to hurt you, it won't hurt you because the new TV deal will be in. The 17-game season will be in, so contracts are going to be structured differently anyway. So I just think that many people are making a big deal out of the things being in whatever cap hell is. I guess it's a cold day in cap hell when Kai Harley's on the job because he's able to make it work, and he's done it yet again. The Saints still have to extend Ram, uh, Ramchick. I think that's going to happen very soon. I think, of course, Marcus Williams will get his. They'll rescind the franchise tag. And I think from what I understand, Marshawn Lattimore is going to play out this year under his rookie contract, and they'll see what he does next year. And I'd be fine with that because I think of the of the three, I put them in that order. That Ramchek is the most important. That Williams would be number two, and that Lattimore would be number three. And I know people would say, "Well, why?" Especially after they released Janoris Jenkins, you have not seen the continued growth with Lattimore that you would want to have seen over the last two years. He's he's not gotten. Whereas Williams has had a jump in production, right. and and just seeing even in the season how from the first four games to over the last 12, how much he improved. He, he, yeah. he, he seems like he has more upside to me at this point and you can't replace Ryan Ramchick. No, not at all. I think Ryan Ramchick is the only person on the same offensive line that we can say has hall of fame potential. And I don't think that's a stretch when you make that comment. I think when it comes to Marcus Williams, definitely one of the better young free safeties in the game. And for Marshawn Lattimore, listen, it's not my fault. Lattimore has a big mouth. Because he came out himself and said he doesn't always play up to his competition. That is a problem when you're looking to get paid. And I'm sorry, you, he's never been, he's never duplicated what we saw that rookie year, and it's shown. And Sean Payton is not going to do that. You know, that's just not his thing. He's, he's, it's so attention to detail minded that I think he, he has taken chances on players who maybe were less, you know, he's done this with Alex Anzalone, is one of those people, less physically mm-hmm. capable, but. I knew what he was and was not going to do. And now with Marshawn Lattimore, you can't do that from week to week because we've seen him getting taken advantage of um, by receivers. He's supposed to be better than. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think, I don't think that's something that's going to not continue. And I think that's why the Saints are going to gamble and say, you know what? We have the franchise tag in our back pocket. And even if we don't use it much like they're doing with Marcus Williams, we can stop you from going anywhere or we can have you sign the tag and trade you at that point. So it's not going to stop the Saints from being able to sign him long-term. It's a motivational tactic that they can use to say, you know what, if you want your money, you want to be paid like a top five corner, show me, prove it to me. And if you can prove it, then we'll pay you. And if not, then you'll probably be back in Cleveland or wherever you want to go. And I think the history of the franchise has shown that they are willing to pay their elite players. Now, if you cross the line that they have, like they have a hard line, like they did with Jimmy Graham, where they told, like, Mm -hmm. all right, you're over the number. We got to send you away. It wasn't because they didn't love him. It's just that they had a number, and they've got a number for everybody on that roster. They are glad to give you that number 
if you play up to it. And I think that's where Marshawn Lattimore, fi- Lattimore finds himself. I think that's where Janoris Jenkins found himself at 32. The number was no longer worth what they were going to get out of him on the field. And I think for anybody that got cut with the Saints, where people say, well, they lost depth at these positions. It, you have to look long-term for this franchise. And they've done such a good job of finding those guys in free agency and in the bottom of the draft who fill enough of, a, of the spot. Yeah, I don't think the Saints have lost anybody that can't be replaced. When it comes to Janoris Jenkins, I know they love the kid, Joe Horn's kid a lot, J.C. Horn. They love that kid. Uh, so I, I think it wouldn't surprise me to see them make a move to try to get up in the draft and draft him. Uh, as far as Malcolm Brown, who could be a cap casualty very soon, you're right. They have found defensive tackles. Now, he's going to be a little bit harder because he's a good run stuffer. But there, there are options out there that can kind of you know come in and be a two-down a two player that can kind of help stop the run. So there are options. They haven't lost anybody that you say, you know what? That one's going to hurt because, as you say, the Janoris Jenkins, although he outplayed Lattimore last year, still 32, 33 years old, you're not going to pay a guy that, that, that much money for that. So they haven't lost anybody that can't be replaced, and I think they'll do a good job of finding guys in the draft that will come in and, and kind of help out. Um, I want to switch gears and get your thought on this real quick before we go. Um, you've seen what's happened with LSU's football program, the reports that have come out, both about Les Miles and the continued stuff. Um, within the athletic program and covering up sexual assaults, covering up reports of um, harassment and all these things, all the way through Ed Orgeron's head coaching uh, assignment. Something bigger than a couple of administrators getting suspended with pay has to happen, but I don't see any circumstance where LSU um, comes down heavy upon itself. It's not. It's going to take the NCAA to come down, and this is going to have to be almost, a, you know, what they call, quote-unquote, the death penalty in sports. They're going to have to basically pin state scrub this thing from top to bottom when it comes to the athletic department. And I mean get rid of everybody. If there's a janitor that knew about it. Everybody must go. And I think that's the only way to clean up this program because it, it's, it's one thing for it to be one young lady. It's not. It's a, a period and a course of time in which Darius Geis is probably the biggest creep I've ever damn heard of because that guy, that was just, I mean, it's almost like he was unable to be a monster. So, yeah, I think in that case, everybody must go. It has to be a, a Baylor type of situation. It has to be SMU. It has to be Penn State, Michigan State. Roll it all into one. And whatever that is, that is what you do to LSU. And the underscoring of race in some of the statements, like when – the 70-year-old woman who was harassed by Darius Geis calls the school and someone tells her, you have to understand he's from a broken home. That's race. That's what yeah. you're doing there, saying they they don't get it. They're not, they don't understand. This is not, they're not normal and working in society. You're not, right. you're not trying to, to help that kid. What you're doing is, is, is quite frankly playing into all the things that yeah. were evident as problems at LSU in LSU's football program with race last season. I think they only exacerbated it, man. And I think, you know, when you, when you basically tell somebody, well, he's black and he doesn't understand, he doesn't know any better. So you kind of got to let him slide. No, the hell you don't. I don't take that stance as a black man. And I don't want anybody to give me a handout because of it. I want to be treated equally. And I think sometimes people forget the word equal. Equal does not mean, you know, handout. It doesn't mean that I should be treated better. It means I want to be treated as you want to be treated. No different, no less, because of this color of my skin doesn't mean anything because I'm probably smarter than you and I make more money. The problem with that is that you don't see past my skin color to even know the rest of me. And I think in Darius Geis' case, it was an idea of tap on the head, and I hate that, tap on the head, oh, poor little black kid. Don't don't banish him. 
you know, kind of put your arms around him and hug him and just forget it ever happened. No, put that monster exactly where the hell he belongs and make sure it doesn't happen again. Because what's going to happen is that it's going to be the next person that, that that lady sees that looks like Darius Geist, she's going to catch the hell that he should have caught. Yep. And whether it's enabling Darius Geist or enabling Les Miles, when the AD comes mm-hmm. to you and says, we should fire our coach because I told him to stop doing this stuff and he's still doing it. And everybody says, nah, we don't have enough evidence. Well, you're never going to get physical evidence of a coach keeping a girl yeah. in his car and trying to kiss her unless she tapes it. But if there's, if people are saying that's happening with your head coach, you can't have it. You just cannot. It's just a permissiveness that goes, that shows you again that none of this shit has to do with academics. This is about money and this is about power and it's about exploitation. It has nothing at all to do with these kids or their educations. And you nailed it just now. Money, power, exploitation. What rules, Baton Rouge, LSU football, so do you want to be the young lady that crumbles the program? And I'm pretty sure they told her this. No, come on in. Come on in. Come into the office. Come on. Do you want to be known as a person? Do you want your family to go through this? Do you want your friends to go through this? Do you want to go through this? That is probably what they told her to cohere sense and not saying anything. I am so glad she found the strength to finally come out. And it opened the doors for others to do the same. Because the LSU program was a bunch of Neanderthals running around just basically doing whatever the hell they wanted to do for the most part. And somebody had to put a stop to it, whether it be this young lady or or maybe, you know, crazy idea, the damn adult in charge. It's just, and for the governor, like, to, to not have taken any action at this point just bothers me even more. Like, you, you got to change the board. You got to change whomever was – anybody was involved with, like you said, they got to go. Anybody who knew, you got to go. Clean Man, Clean thank you sweet. so much for giving me your time. I know you're busy and you're on the road doing your thing. But, um, you know, tell the folks if you want them to follow you, because, you know, Ooh. some of them ain't ready, but tell them how they can. <laughs> I, look, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I come with the biggest warning label. I am who I am. I make no bones about it. But if you're brave enough, you can follow me at Trust the Sauce, T-U-R. Sorry, bring that back. T-R-U-S-S, the sauce. Oh, I tell you, hey, look, don't pay me no mind right now. I'm tired. I've had a long day, and I still got about six more hours to drive, so forgive me. But it's T-R-U-S-S, the sauce. Follow me on Twitter. That is the only platform that you can find me on, but I come with a warning label. Yes, don't. it's not for – it's NSFW, and it's not for folks who get their feelings hurt easily. It's not for the weak at heart, but I promise you one thing. If not, you will get the truth, and you will get it in an entertaining, entertaining fashion. And at the same time – you know, and, and B will tell you this straight up, is is that when he wrong, he ain't never been ashamed to say he was wrong. Ain't never been ashamed to say he was wrong. Always the first to admit my wrongs, man. The only thing I can do is be me, and I hope the people respect it, you know, respect me and respect it for that. Hey, bro, since day one, that's why uh, we have worked well together. So I appreciate you coming back again, and I know you'll be back in the future. Always, my brother. Next time, I promise I'll get in a better area so I won't <laughs> have all this. But right now, the money is calling. I hear that. So until the next time, I am David Grubb. Y'all know how to follow me at DM Grubb on Instagram and Twitter and, of course, the website HITP with DG. Until the next time, this has been Hard to Pay.